Welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. Still recording the, I think this is our last interview from How Design Live here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we have with us David Sherwin. David, how are you doing? It's been, it's been a few years since you've been on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here at How Design Live, especially after all these years. I took last year off, so it's great to come back and be participating in this year's event. And and I know I know you, you were at Frog when we spoke to you last, which is a huge like agency, right? I mean, it's, it's more than 10 or 20 people. Yeah, Frog, Frog has hundreds and hundreds of people all over the world so I worked I was last working in the San Francisco studio and I've been working with them in a fellow capacity which means that I've been advising social impact projects and then and then, and then you've, you've made your way can we talk about where you have been before? sure so after you left frog you you moved over to lynda.com which which um and there's there's a lot of people that, that are associated with lynda.com that are at this conference so they're they're highly well known in the in the design industry yeah lynda.com has been an online training product it's been around for around 21 years and so i was really excited to come on board as a director of user experience and i was managing all the designers working on product design for the company and so about nine months in we were acquired by linkedin and I, we brought the company into LinkedIn, and I was able to manage over the past year product design for all the stuff that's happening around Linda. Yeah, and I was told that um, one of the other speakers I was talking to, they said that the nice thing with that was that all of a sudden Linda went from a user base that was what would be considered large to a user base that was considered huge. I mean, I mean so, so all of this stuff... Everything gets gets viewed more, and it, it became a much larger company, which which in a lot of ways can be good, especially when you're trying to do outreach. Absolutely, I mean, thinking about the benefits of something like Lynda.com, you've got you know seven thousand courses in five languages, and already the product is used by people that are from all over the world. They're from educational institutions, corporations, governments. This is just another opportunity to expand the impact that the skills training could have on people in terms of like wanting to get the skills they need in professional, personal lives. Yeah. But as of yesterday, it was, uh, it was your last day. That's true. Um, I am starting a consulting firm with my wife, Mary Sherwin. It's called The Sherwins LLC. And we're gonna be focusing on providing training and coaching and advising for organizations and communities that wanna bring design into what they do. They wanna be design driven in some way. And this is an offshoot of a lot of the teaching that my wife and I have been doing at schools and also for companies over the past few years is that we got a lot of great feedback that we're able to sort of bring something into it from a training perspective that helps people gain the skills and the perspective that they need to know how to best integrate design into what they're trying to do for their businesses. Around design, building teams, looking at how to best create design-driven organizations, and I've been coaching and advising some companies as well. So this is a chance for the two of us to come together, and it's just, we're calling it the Sherwins LLC, and part of the reason is that uh, whenever we would do teaching or coaching or advising, people would always call us the Sherwins. The Sherwins, or just okay. Or just Sherwins, and so as they say, brand is what your audience says to you, not what you say to it in this scenario. This, this is what people have been referring to us as a collective unit, so that's what we're going to be doing. I think I like Sherwin's better than Sherwin and Sherwin. <laughs> that's so, true. So I think I think you're onto something there. And and where do people go online to find you? We're going to have a website, asktheSherwins.com. AsktheSherwins.com. Yeah. Okay, we look forward to seeing that. And what kind of questions should we be asking you then? All sorts of questions. The type of advice we want to be giving and helping with people. Has I mean, to... when you have that URL, yeah. you're, you're having people saying that, ask us questions. Correct. So you're, you're not shy about saying like, but I mean, is there certain types that we should be asking you? 
I think the questions that we've been we've been asked the most over the past couple of years has been how do I create great teams and how do we create great work often that uses design in some capacity and then how do we think about organizationally setting ourselves up up to make the best use of design throughout our product design process or whatever types of things that people are making at their companies or organizations. Now when you're talking about creating great teams, are you are you talking and it could be both of these, I'm not sure. Are you talking about with people that already work for your company or are you talking because we've become specialized and a lot of companies are kind of cut down to where they don't have all the components about piecing it together outside? Yes. So along with focusing on doing workplace training, like working with teams, working with individuals, doing coaching and so forth, we're going to also doing a lot more writing and our first major writing project is we're working on a book about how to create great workplace teams. Work in a multidisciplinary capacity. I can say that from working a lot of big software projects that you have people that are from all sorts of different disciplines and the magic is when you bring everybody's skills together to make something really great and that's not just design or engineering or product management or quality assurance or whatever those things are that are needed to make the work happen. It's a matter of how it gets put together in a particular way and I've seen over the years that those particular techniques that are used with those teams in certain ways the teams behave and how they work together that lends to a better working experience and to better quality of work and so we want to help people understand how to like build towards that and how they work individually knowing themselves just as much as how they work with their teams. And how do you know like what part because sometimes you get, you're real close to a thing and you're like oh we can do this but how do you know what part you actually can't handle on your team and you actually have to find somebody to do that for you. Oh, so are you talking about acknowledging that there might be a skills gap in terms of like what the team's trying to do or like a particular tool that needs yeah. to be brought into the process? Yeah, and also like that that skill that your team doesn't have is actually needed. So we we when we're working with teams, we like to at the beginning have the teams socialize what skills they, they have, so everybody in the team is aware of that, and they also talk about what skills they believe are needed to be successful on the project. And at that point, at the very beginning, they can say like, okay, we think we have the skills that we need, and along the way, as they're tracking to the work that's being made, they'll be doing uh, retrospectives or having open conversations about what's working and what's not working. At that point, if someone says, well, what's not working seems like we need more of this particular skill. Like, oh, it seems like we need more quality assurance for this responsive website to make sure it's going to be successful. Maybe we need to pull someone else in or maybe, you know, like this is something we need to do more training on. So when we get to that point, we've got that. It's something that's like discussed fairly openly in the team from the beginning to make sure that if there's a gap that appears, people perceive it because that's an often an issue that comes up is that the teams are marching along. They may not be aware of there being potentially an issue until they might see it in the quality of the actual work that's being made. They're like, ooh, that's not quite right. Why is it not quite right? It's kind of like you're already talking about that have some self-awareness about that in advance of and, it being a, like a big issue and it's very common also you kind of mentioned about creating a team but but you said as it goes along the team depending on how the project the length of it is doesn't necessarily stay the same you got to bring people off the bench you have to you know somebody like leaves you have to bring in more people sometimes the team kind of has to you know like if you're doing a website it launches but you still have to have a team to maintain it but half the people aren't needed anymore um, so, so what's the best way about making sure that people can like leave and come onto the team and not feel like they're being you know cut out of the of the overall project? So part of it is the team having a shared understanding of how they want to work together and what's needed for where they're at in the process of what they're trying to accomplish. And I think a common mistake that happens working on teams, where as you're describing it, 
people come in and out, it's a somewhat dynamic, is that the team, every time someone new comes in, or someone leaves the team, the team has to sort of like stop for a moment and bring that person into the team and renorm as to what they need to accomplish. In doing so, it's a matter of saying, great, we brought in these other two people. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is how we're going to work together. Are there, are there other ways you want to work with us? Does this make sense? And like figure that out. And then like, okay, what are you bringing to the table in terms of your skills? What skills did we just lose as part of the overall team? And like having that be part of the way you think about people coming into or out of the team. So there's this awareness of like how the, the state of it has changed. This is very rare and there's also for an, teams. And there's also an awareness of kind of what why you are being brought to the team so that I assume that when that role is done, it, it's not awkward when they just kind of Correct. You out. Yeah, really clear expectations. But especially if you're working on something that's a project, usually there's some end goal in sight. You can be fairly clear about saying like, hey, you're jumping onto the team. Our expectations is that you're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Do you feel like based on the time frame you've got, are, are you up for the challenge? And are, is there anything that when we bring everybody together, we need to be aware of that's going to be the best way we work together as a team? That way people feel like they're part of the team rather than being just a resource, which is kind of like a weird word to use when you're talking about people. Yeah, and I've, I've felt, you know, I've, I've been brought onto some of these, I guess, I, you know, you call them teams or whatever. And some of the best ones I have is they, they contact me even months ahead just to kind of tell me what they're working on. And it's like, you're working. And I'm like, my work's not going to come for whatever, but it's like they want to get an estimate. And then there's a, this if this project happens, you're going to work. And then, and then like three months later, you're called and it's like, oh, the ramp up is much quicker because I, I kind of knew of the project and it was kind of in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. So are you talking about socializing what it will be as part of like the way you bring people in and out of that process? Well, I'm just wondering if that would help because if, if, I guess it helps more if you work with somebody on a consistent basis where you bring them into multiple teams and just kind of give them a heads up like so that, hey, when this team goes away, like you're going to be on this other group. Yeah, so in working in a very large design firm like a frog, you would move from project to project and you're part of a group of people that work on different initiatives. That would be something where you may be done with a project and you move on to another project, but usually be working something for the, life, the lifetime of the project. I think when you work in more of an in-house environment, depending on the types of projects that you're working on, there may be more stability for your teams for a period of time because you might have really deep expertise in what you're looking to build and sort of like the technical stack or like what you're designing, the design system that you're working in. I also think if, if you have like a small, in, I, I worked at an in-house place and there was like, you know, there's a copywriter as a designer, there's a programmer, and yeah, we may have different projects, but it was the same team on every project. Right. So so it was like, we never really considered it, oh, this is the, the team for this project. It's like, no, those are just the four of us that are there. <laughs> well, that's, the thing that's interesting about working with the same people over and over again as part of your team is that there's this assumption that like the people that you know when you worked with them the month before you started a new project are the same people. Like you always have to check back in and say, hey, based on what we just did, have you, you got new skills we weren't aware of because you've been like training and learning stuff. Maybe you've been outside of work. Is there things that you want to be learning or doing on this project or taking a different role in this new project and not assuming that, oh, it means that every single project that we're doing, it's exactly the same. It usually isn't because people are dynamic. They grow and change over time. They have new interests. And so I think taking that sort of like team orientation and not treating it as like it's something that's static, it's something that's that grows in terms of like how people evolve best ways of working together and maturing and discussing that openly is part of how you might say like we have a team and I'm always working with the team but we're growing as a team and the team is always changing and so just being aware of that that's the state rather than falling into that sort of like more static set of assumptions about what a team should be. Okay. Well in my case it helped that um, or hurt that that half of the team, you know, there's a giant 
dot com bust, and and so the actual team was only the other six months. So, <laughs> and, then, and then there was a brand new team or less of a team. So hmm. it was a different. All right, we're going to be right back with David Sherwood. <laughs> It's obviously, obviously, like teams are important to you. What was it that got? I mean, what was what was the first thing where you you started thinking like how important the team was? Well, did you play my, like, did my you play like pro sports or something? <laughs> like, like did I did I miss a did I miss a football career? Well, part of work, I think there's two really actually three really important things. The first thing was when I was writing Success by Design. Success by Design is organized around how you work with people, and I knew from working in so many different agencies and also in Frog that the way you think about how you work with people, like how you think about building and constructing a team and thinking about how they're going to work together, was really critical to how to start a project well. And then there's the actual coaching and managing the team through. When I was at Frog, I had a chance to work on tools that people could use. It was called the Collective Action Toolkit. And it was this toolkit for um, groups of people to take in and use to collectively solve problems with different, like, activities. And some of the activities were about recognizing what problems you're trying to solve or how to go do research and work with sort of your assumptions that come out of research. Some had to do with how you come up with the ideas collectively as a group. And they had particular structures that would require everybody in the team to share their ideas, to debate them openly without fear, to really try to understand how to integrate them into the best solutions. And so taking that and bringing that into working in more of an in-house context and doing a lot of agile product design work, there's a lot of analogs to what makes teams happy and healthy just as much as making great work. And we wanted to find a way to sort of take what we're learning from the in-house or product design, startup design context, bring together some of those tools around how you think about doing activities with teams and see how when you bring it together, it makes something that allows people when they're on the teams to recognize, oh, we're in this situation, something's not quite working. This is where I'll do this particular thing. I'll bring this approach to how I'm working with my team and it potentially get us to a better place at this part of the project process, which is usually about solving some sort of problem. It's like, how do you, like, as a team, be like, recognize what that is, figure out and debate your hypotheses of what you should do, try something. Like, how do you do that as a team? It's really hard to do it well. And so we wanted to create sort of like a field guide for people to be able to pull out of their pocket as they're moving through projects over and over and over again with teams that gives them sort of a sense yeah, of how to navigate that. Why, why, why re you know, you, you can revise a policy and you can revise kind of the structure, but why completely start over from scratch every time? Exactly. So I think we recognized when we started teaching team building in schools, like we were, we've been working with Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design, and we teach the first course of each year of the graduate program, we just spend a full week just doing team building. Because teams are so important to doing user experience design, product design, service design, like the more like highly complex, systemically complicated design fields. All of that happens when designers are working with engineers, with uh, mechanical engineers, with material scientists, with quality assurance professionals, with all these people with all these very unique expertise. Designers are put in this place where they have to kind of like integrate it all, but that's not enough. The team has to work together. Yeah, and so we recognize there's a, that there's a lot of projects that can be done with one person. Um, you know, a lot of small projects, but when you're starting to deal with large websites, no one person. I don't think I don't think that there's a Fortune 500 company that would have one person do every part of their website. It'd be it'd be it's too much. I think designers working on any sort of interactive project, it's definitely gotten to the point where the majority of anything beyond a particular size, like you said, like once you get to a particular size of what you're trying to do, it is a team. And then it's just a matter of how do you know how to like build a team, start a team, 
um, work with the team. If something gets screwed up, how do you fix the team? You have to recognize that that's where you're at and with your team and like, what do you need to do in that? So in us living through teaching this and using these different techniques in our teams, we said, okay, we need to like pull out of this something that's like an actual book that people will be able to use. So that yeah, way so, so it's this a, like a particular tool. This hasn't tool. only led to the askthesherwins.com, but it's leading to an actual like physical book that then other other people can use to kind of replicate some of these things. That's the plan, yeah. And and what who's where, where's the where will people get more information on the book at or when will that be coming out? Because I know books aren't like oh it's a blog post I'll throw it up tomorrow. <laughs> That's the, yeah, we're, a lot of work in a book. Yeah, we're in the middle of writing it, and so we're gonna, people who come to our website will be able to sign up for a mailing list, and we'll we'll let them know when it comes out. But we're sort of putting out little bits and pieces of it as we go, so that way people get a, a sense of what some of the tools are that we've been experimenting with and using with our teams, like how we've seen the effects happen. And I've seen that. That's that's almost like common now where I don't I don't know if you can write a like almost all of these, especially books where it's talking about um, you know a, a topic that that you're trying to be an expert in and that you're trying to help people with, there's always the little breakthrough um, just email blog. There's always just the, the now there's always like a microsite website where it, you can give out some of that information ahead of time. And I think it either drums up support or it, some people they're like, this isn't for me or it's not for me now. But then the other people, they can be like, I'm, I'm more interested in this. Where do I find out more? Yeah. So yeah, we're planning to, to put out knowledge. And also part of the notion of having asktheshowins.com is that people will be asking us questions in relationship to the topic. And the way we want to answer those questions, as well as the tone of the book, it's from the two of us. So it's like a collective voice. And sure. the tone, we're not writing it like this literally, but it's kind of like one drink in is the tone of the book. <laughs> Meaning like there's tons and tons and tons of books that are about team building and creating teams. And I don't think what we're doing is trying to replicate some of the research and thought that's gone into this space. What we're trying to do is think about how that translates into something that's really practical advice and things that people can do with their teams and not be like super theoretical about it to be like, look, if you don't have a lot of time and you're trying to deal with the situation, this is how we would approach it or this is the way you would potentially think about it. A lot of the issues that come up with teams are very basic and has to do with a gap of perception of you and how you view the situation versus other people in your team or outside your team. So okay. like, so, so sometimes that has to do with like the ways you think about how you're viewing the situation. So the book is not intended to be like, if you do this, it will solve all situations. It's kind of like, in some cases, kicking you out of your comfort zone and saying, oh, what would happen if you looked at it from this perspective or this perspective, or you tried this thing, then what would happen? So that way folks get a sense of like, okay, is it, who, 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 what needs to be actually done to make the team do what it needs to do to get to this goal? Because you're, you're, you're only a team because you're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to like solve a problem. You're trying to make something happen, like you said, like a website. It's just like, great, we're redesigning this huge enterprise-scale website. It's like, why? What problems are we solving? Like, a website is just a what. Once you figure out those, like, motivations and how they drive what a team's trying to do, that changes the way you navigate dealing with different situations that come up along the way, and it changes the type of ownership that people have of the work that they're doing. And we want to give people a sense of that so you don't end up in this place where the team is so narrowly focused on executing something that they miss the the cohesion of the team working as a team and that's privilege as part of the way you do the work. We're gonna be right back with David Sherwin. So when did you realize that you had an expertise on team building? 
It was after I had been working at Frog and done the Collective Action Toolkit and released it into the wild and seen gazillions of people start using it and giving us feedback on it and myself also using it, working in both in-house, working with in-house teams when I was at Frog and then also working, using it in terms of like community building and working in sort of like more of a social impact way. I was just thinking to myself, wow, why is it that these things aren't used by more people? And what would it take for more people having this type of approach for how they work with teams? Because people would always say, wow, this is so refreshing, or it's a different take on what we already see happening in just sort of general training and team building, but it's expressed a little differently and it's more closer to design thinking, which is a term I don't like to use, but like the ways that you leverage groups to solve problems. That's something that designers often do, and I'm not saying designers are the only people that do it, but I wanted to figure no, out I what mean, was related to all fields. Yeah, and I think I think we're at a time where people are okay with trying different things, like like you know, agile or scrum, I think are, are big deals in the programming world and, and how they build their you know, their processes. So I think that I I envision was there a time where you say that, hey, I think these big companies are open to how they kind of move teams around compared to the more static hierarchies that they used to have? Well, I wouldn't say I know all companies, but I'd say that the, oh, no, the, no, the no. business, yeah. the, the, I think that the way things change so quickly, especially when it comes to like technology and how people use mobile technologies like phones and the ways, even things like responsive design didn't exist until, you know, a couple of years ago. These are all like relatively new concepts because there's such a fast rate of change in the industry. The industries you're working in, you see, I think you see companies reacting and shifting things around more quickly to sort of exploit those challenges, but it creates more pressures on how those people come together, align on what they're trying to do, and then have a team orientation towards that. I think a lot of organizations struggle with not only getting the work done, but also thinking about the, the health of the team and like the way the team works as being two sides of the coin and people understanding how to tolerate that continuous change in the workplace, meaning like it's not something, people don't feel comfortable with that type of dynamic change, or it's like, hey, you're on this team for two weeks and there's another one for four months. Even in a construct like Agile and Scrum, it can add complexity because the whole point of Agile is that you create joint accountability for a group of people to decide what they wanna work on to deal with uncertain problems and create potential solutions that help address them. That's the point. And then it, it's tied to technology. Sure. It's, so it's super great and spiritually aligned with what people want to do. But then if you don't have people that are somewhat stable as they're using Scrum or like in those groups trying to like ship stuff, we're trying to figure out what those things are that give the team the vocabulary and like that, the, the ways to recognize how to navigate that. Not even in the construct of Scrum, Scrum or Agile, it's just a methodology, but just writ large, anytime you're on a project team where you have a goal and you're on a team, that's like the way the world is now working. How do we like navigate that? And I think we're coming at it from the perspective that because we've been in the design seat in terms of like Mary's mind's expertise, like that's where we've been sitting, we always end up triaging everything to try to get the starting point or the plan or the, the first design and aligning the team around that and then just like running with it in terms of implementing something, some thing we can go test. Sure. Like, so we've seen the facilitation that's needed to make some of that magic happen, but it's not just the role of the designer, it's everybody on the team and we want everybody in the team to have a sense of like what that playbook is that helps them in that situation in a non-academic way. So, so is, is a lot of it because there's a communication where your team members all come from different kind of industries and they're all, so all, they all have different keywords. They don't understand, you know, kerning means nothing to them. 
So is, is a lot of what you're trying to do with the team is trying to, is it making sure that the communication is there? Right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, one of the major parts of the book is about like, how do you communicate with other people? How do you recognize gaps in how you might be communicating with other people? And from there, like building towards a self-awareness about what might you might be doing that's contributing to issues when working with the team. So it's kind of like the do's and don'ts of it and having conversations with your team up front about your communication styles and how you want to best communicate, when you want to communicate, frequency all of that. Frequency of communication. Frequency, yeah, exactly. Like basically, you know what, if you keep pinging me on Slack, I'm going to go crazy. Like being clear about that in advance <laughs> so that way it doesn't become something where people are doing things from a communication perspective they, they weren't aware were causing friction or problems within the team. Just getting that all on the yeah. table. Well, because some people like, you know, I've found certain clients, they love it when if they send you a list of 10 things to do, they want to see like, send them back 10 emails or 10 notes after each one. And then you have some where they're like, no, just send them in blocks, you know, when you get a chunk of them done. And some, they don't want to hear about anything until it's all done. Mm -hmm. So I assume it's the same with, with everything else where even if you're on Slack or whatever, they're like, do you want me to hold out before I email you or, you know, send you a note? Or do you want me to just, just start shooting them off uh, crazy like yeah that in terms of like unclear expectations of how you want to be communicated with when you want to be communicated with the tone and manner by which you should communicate and then the, having rules about how many times you back and forth before you escalate to getting on the phone or having a video chat meaning like a lot of my general rules if it's more than three emails back and forth you're done like you have to get on the phone like it should you should not be having these like long philosophical debates via email that's not efficient for anybody you can usually work through all sorts of situations just by having a conversation yeah i think i think you know i've kind of adopted that without even knowing it but i think when when a, there's a couple of clients where they email and i email back for clarification and then email me something back and then i'm like you have five minutes because <laughs> because i have a feeling this is going to be a long email chain and it's normally something that verbally can be fixed in like three sentences yep that's most situations Okay, well, that's so that's not bad. So, okay, so I was actually, actually, think, now thank you for clarifying that I actually might be doing something correctly. So You're doing many things correctly. All right, well, we won't talk about the things incorrectly. All right, David, it's been a pleasure having you on this show. We look forward to it. It's asktheSherwins.com. Um, does the book have a title, or is it one of these changing titles, or do you have a working title? Does it have a code name? You know, I mean, I, I would go for, like, Sherwin Williams and Williams and Sherwin, the book. <laughs> But there's no code name at this point. It's just a book about how to create great workplace teams. And so when, when the title emerges, we have our theories, but we'll, we'll put that label on it when it comes out. Okay, well, we'll, we'll sign up for the, for the list. Um, at your website. Thank you very much for your time. We look forward to seeing you the rest of the conference. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab. Find out more at myspace.com slash dustlab.